a look at Psalm chapter 90. That name, right? Where Psalm 90 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. And so these are the words of the psalmist, inspired words, names of God, many of them. We, we had one in uh, the hymn earlier. Got to make sure we bring that one back around. We do that one a lot. A mighty fortress includes a name, one of those names. It says, Lord Sabaoth, his name. Which, by the way, when I was a kid, I thought, does that mean Lord of the Sabbath? And why is it spelled funny? Does it mean Sabbath? Right? Sabaoth are armies, the Lord of hosts. Well, a lot of the names that we look at are built from the basic names for God. There is the there is that special name that we talked about some weeks back, the specially revealed name. So there will be a, there will be descriptions added to that name. That's what we saw with Yahweh Yireh, or the Anglicized version Jehovah Jireh. It's the name with the description of the one who provides. A lot of names like that, and there are some of them that are attached to the more generic name El. And that's what we're looking at today. One of those names. L, an L name. God, what about God? What about him? In this case, we're looking at a particular term that we saw there in in, uh, in those verses. And that is our Hebrew word of the day, which is olam. Olam. It means eternal or eternity or never ending or everlasting or forever or something along those lines. Or of the ages World without end, we sometimes read different ways of putting this idea of something being eternal. That's our word. Literally, the verse 2 in, that we read in Psalm 90 quite literally reads, Me'olam ad olam, from eternity to eternity. This is who God, this is who El is. Among other things, he is from everlasting to Everlasting. That's what it said. John Wesley preached a sermon on that verse. And he began it with these words. Quote, I would fain speak of that awful subject, eternity. But how can we grasp it in our thought? It is so vast that the narrow mind of man is utterly unable to comprehend it. And when he said, by the way, awful, he didn't mean that negatively, like, oh, what a terrible subject. He meant it in the old-fashioned sense of awe-inspiring. What an awe-provoking subject it is, the idea of eternity. Have you ever considered the concept? I mean, really, really put your mind through the gymnastics of trying to get somehow your intellectual arms around the, the notion of eternity. I mean, we can think about it to some extent. 
I mean, we can we can try to sort of hold it in our minds and make some sense of it. It's only natural that we would. The writer of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, said, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in their hearts, yet so that man cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I mean, there's some notion of it inside of us that we can reach out to try to grasp it, understand it. We can contemplate it as best we can. And people always have. People have always thought about and written about and sometimes sung about the concept of forever. Right? It's, it's, it's at least in the idea phase, it's something we can, we can do. Forever and ever and ever, without end. But think about this. This question, in in all of our experience, in all of the experience of everybody who's ever talked about it, thought about it, and written about it, the poets and the philosophers and everybody else, in this world in which we've all lived, all people have lived in all of our, so the sum total of human experience, do we in fact know of anything that we've seen in this world that is eternal? I mean, anything at all that we can Point to, put our hands on and say, aha, this thing here. Here is an eternal thing. I mean, there are old things. I mean, there are old people. Don't point. There are old people. But people, I mean, you know, we only get so old. I mean, we get older than our than our pets do. We only get so old. There are things that get older and hang around. There are ancient things. There are writings that have lasted a long time but you know nothing is eternal wesley asked this question in that sermon he said what are any temporal things placed in comparison with those that are eternal what is the duration of the long-lived oak of the ancient castle of trajan's pillar of pompey's amphitheater what is the antiquity of the tuscan urns though probably older than the foundation of Rome, yea, of the great pyramids of Egypt. Suppose that they have remained upwards of 3,000 years. When laid in the balance with eternity, it vanishes into nothing. It is just nothing. And of course, even, even, even our most esteemed scientists today, they will tell us that the earth itself is not eternal, that it has a beginning date stamped on it somewhere, a manufacture date, that the earth has a beginning, nor is the sun eternal. No, no scientist expects the sun to just keep burning forever. You might say, yeah, I mean, like a couple more million years. Yeah, but that's not forever. There's still an expiration date on everything. In the known universe, we just, we just can't find anything that's eternal anywhere out there. Our telescopes can look way out there. We don't see, we don't find anything out there. We find some old, old things. We think, I mean, you know, our best guesses. I don't know how we're supposed to date things in the billions. People try it, but you know what? Whatever they say, it's still a, it's that's a finite number. It's still a finite number. It still comes to an end at some point. 
So even the physical universe itself and in all of its vastness, however old it is, it's still not eternal. I mean, it's wild just to consider, for example, time, what, what we mean by time. I don't want to get too deep in the woods here. I don't want your brains to hurt when we're done. I mean, I, you know, I want to work that muscle just a little bit today, but I don't, I, I, I'm not trying to um, make you walk out dizzy. In the sermon Wesley preached, he asked this question. He said, but what is time? It is not easy to say. As frequently as we have had the word in our mouth, we know not what it properly is. We cannot well tell how to define it. And he's kind of right, isn't he? I mean, I mean, we know practically what time is. We we operate by it. We got it. We got we've got so many markers and indicators of what it is, down to the the you know the smartwatch that you know counts the seconds, and and we've been doing it. I mean, you know, for as long as people there have been before they invented time pieces, uh, they just used what they saw. But we mark it by the, by physical things, don't we? I mean, time is marked by physical events, physical things. I mean, it's you know, the the rock we're on is spinning, and we're just marking time by that. And even if you get down to moment by moment. It's still just a successive series of events, and each one, you know, each one passes and it's gone and can't be recaptured. It's just this ongoing, you know, like it's like the philosopher talked about the river. It's just flowing. And you step into it, and that that piece you stepped into, it's gone. You can't step in it again. It just keeps moving. It only moves one way. That's how, we, that's how we do it. But it's harder for us to fathom the idea that you would get outside of that. You know? That you would be able to step outside of that because we're bound in it. We're bound by it. We can't get outside of the parameters of, what, of time and its effects. Which is another way we measure it. By its effects. Does time have effects? Yeah. Were you sore when you got up this morning? Let's see those hands. Yeah, a bunch of us are... Oh, man, brother, the effects of time on the body, on the bones, on the muscles, on the mind, on everything, on everything. It has its effects. We can't get out of that. We can't break out of that. We can't step outside of that in any way. We are creatures of it. We are subject to it. Time is a created thing. It's created just like space was created. Physical space was a created thing, and so is time. God has made it all. But from the beginning to the end of Scripture, we see God as the sole being who is powerful enough to exist outside of it. Time isn't working on Him. He's not subject to it. It doesn't bind Him. He's not whiling away the hours with the effects of it being had on him. He made it so he can exist outside of it. And even though this is real speculation, but we all do it. We try to think about what would it, what is it like to exist in an everlasting kind of state? What about those who have 
passed on. What's it like for them? What will it be like for me? What is that like? And instead of thinking about it as just more of this, like in other words, you can say, well, you know, let's say that I live to be a hundred years on this earth. So is eternity just as if I, as if my hundred years turned into a trillion and beyond? More of the same? I say no. It's of a different character entirely because I don't picture God as a, as a quadrillion year old man. You know, Ooh, waking up in the morning, really feeling it. Right, man, you guys have no idea. I'm 60 trillion years old. Whoo, getting old is so hard. What was it Yoda said? When 900 year olds you get, you know, when, I, when you get my age, that, that's, not, that's not just some super duper, really ultra old guy. He's not in that realm. He's not just ticking away the time, checking his watch. Whoo, what time is it now? Seems like I've been doing this forever. Literally. No, he's outside of the... Now, what's that supposed to look like? What's that supposed to mean? I don't know. I ain't seen it. I haven't been there. But this is our best takeaway. What we know from Scripture is that God is the only one that we can say. He is not bound by or in time. He is truly eternal. Can't find anything else that is. Don't know of anything else that is. Or things that he grants that status to. Anything that anything else that might be eternal is because of him. Go all the way back to Genesis. I'll show you Genesis 21. You might think, well, this sounds like a later philosophical development. No, it's not, because we go all the way back to Father Abraham. And what do we see in Genesis 21, same Genesis uh, chapter that records the birth of Isaac? I mean, we're way back there in the history. And here he is. And he makes this covenant and this oath at Beersheba. And he says, um, you see how it says the place was called Beersheba because both of them swore an oath. Uh, Abimelech, he says, so they made this covenant. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And look at this, verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Literally, that line there says, because we've, we've learned enough Hebrew about these names that you'll recognize it. Literally, what that says is that he called on Hashem Yahweh El Olam. Name of the Lord, name of Yahweh, God eternal is how that reads. So we have way back in the time of Abraham, he's using this language to talk about this God, this unique God. He is everlasting. And he plants the tree sort of as a... Mem- because trees, are, trees can live out longer than we can. That tree could be several hundred years old to stand as a reminder of that oath. But of course, that tree is a long way from eternal. We, we, you know, we, we make markers, we, we build monuments, we build them to last, we build them to outlast us, to remind people, but we don't build them as eternal things. We can't build an eternal thing. In this world, nothing ever can be or will be. 
But there you have it, of course. There you have it early in the history. This God is everlasting. And then you have it late in the history when, for example, Daniel in chapter 9 of Daniel, the sort of mysterious prophetic chapter where he introduces both the, quote, Son of Man and the, quote, Ancient of Days. Daniel's the only one that says that, that uses that term, but it's another interesting sort of way to talk about the the ancientness of God. I mean, there's ancient, and then there's ancient. And eternity past is pretty ancient. No museums with items in them, with that date on them, you know. Walk around and examine them and read about them. Oh, look at this one. How old is this piece? From eternity past. Wow. Oh, man. They've really... Really, that's a restoration project to keep something that old. There's nothing that old. God can be said to be from eternity past, however that works and whatever that looks like. So all the things people worship in the world, one of the most ridiculous things, of course, is the fact that we would give our time and our efforts and our energies to things that are so fleeting, that are so comparatively young. I mean, if we're just going to compare deities and who's worthy of worship versus who's not worthy of worship, I mean, just think about it. Whatever great and mighty thing, awe-inspiring thing you might imagine, I mean, as Wesley said, compared to the age of the one true and living God, it's not even close. It's not even close. And that's one good practical thing for us. We consider our problems, as Paul calls them, light and momentary. Do they feel light and momentary? Sometimes they feel like they, in fact, in our worst days, we think that our problems are everlasting. I mean, we just, they're there every day. We can't get rid of them. You know, when will this end? This is forever and ever and ever I'm dealing with this. But the true perspective would remind us that, no, nah, there's small time. Just like your life is. It's just, there it went. It's gone. It's a quick drop. A quick drop in a, in a vast, unbounded ocean. Jesus came and started preaching to the people and talking like that, talking with, in this language about not just life I give you here, not just a better life now, but this other kind of life, right? This other quality of life, eternal life. I wonder what they thought he meant when he said it. And when he talked about himself, he talked about himself as if, you know, this wasn't the begin. He wasn't just born for the first time in that stable, he said to them, before Abraham was, I'm telling you guys, before Abraham ever was, I am. There's a sort of a, that's got an eternal feel to it. That's got a timeless savor to it when he says that. Present tense forever and ever. That's me. So Jesus brought this little, this little bit of eternity sort of into our into our time-space continuum. That's what's so wild about the incarnation is that an eternal being would put on a temporal flesh to dwell among us. 
Thank God. And, he, and it's a kingdom without end, he would tell them. So he wasn't just telling them, follow me, come with me, and we'll build this kingdom here on this earth. And it's going to last, you know, hundreds of years, guys. Maybe thousands. Like longer than Rome even. Isn't that great? Now that's small time thinking. He said, this kingdom, this kingdom will have no end. It's ongoing. It keeps on going. And, and so the, the gospel message then takes sort of the profound and dizzying concept of eternity. And then it offers it to you, which is really insane to think about. So Wesley made that application in his sermon, and he said this. This business, this eternal element, so he says, this is not an incommunicable attribute. Now, there's another word for you. That's a Scrabble winner right there. Incommunicable attribute. In other words, this is an attribute God can convey and grant. But he says, but he has been graciously pleased to make multitudes of his creatures partakers of this. He has imparted this not only to angels and archangels, and all the companies of heaven who are not intended to die but to glorify him and live in his presence forever, but also he has given it to inhabitants of the earth who dwell in houses of clay. The saints, their bodies, he says, are indeed, as the writers say, crushed before the moth, but their souls will never die. God made them and as the ancient writer says, he made them to be pictures of his own eternity.